Hello. Hi. Welcome to issue 16 of Scout and Birdie. Over the moon. I'm Jennifer Keel. And I'm Anna Wolf. So when we were thinking about themes, we thought of over the moon as this sort of dreamy entrance into summer of going to the lake in Chicago and walking along the beach and seeing the moon reflected on the water. An activity that Jen and I do every night together. So, so very dreamy. (laughs) And this time of year is, I feel like a very romantic time of year where people are spending more time outside, uh, spending more time with each other, spending more time like with yourself and reflecting on Mm -hmm. things and all of the feelings of the moon and and the phrase over the moon sort of encapsulate that dreamy feeling we were thinking of. Yeah. And the moon is sometimes seen as this internal part of you. Um, If you were thinking astrologically of your moon sign. I'm a Capricorn moon. I'm a Cancer moon. (laughs) So yeah. Now you'll truly understand us. (laughs) So yeah. So that's really the idea we had when we approached the issue. And the artist really took it in a way of examining those moments, those romantic dreamy moments, and taking it a step further and putting it through the lens of nostalgia and longing and kind of the lost moments. And also the idea of duality between the moon and the sun or the difference between our more internal side and that sort of is represented by the moon. Mm -hmm. There's a feeling of like the two different pieces of you at play. Yeah, it was really interesting to hear all of these different perspectives on this idea of over the moon. And we are really excited to share it with you. So with that, we will take you into the issue. Please enjoy issue 16, Over the Moon. First up in the issue, we have the lovely Abigail Phelps. And you will remember Abigail from our second issue, Messy, and also our issue, Fireworks. Mm-hmm. Abigail is a wonderfully talented multimedia artist, and we are so excited to have her back with her piece, An Observation Over Tough Cod. The buffet at the Four Winds Resort and Casino is enough to make you reconsider antidepressants. My father has a habit of turning my visits into errands. Even now, with just two days back home, I'm swept up in his black Sonata, chatting down the flat highways of Indiana for an hour, an hour and a half, two, until we've reached New Buffalo, Michigan. He has to pick up a hanging planter. I blame it on the fresh, over-oxygenated Michigan air, but when my father asks, do you want to go to a casino for lunch? Lightheaded and delirious, I say, yes. Had I been back in my just-inhaled fumes from the 22 bus Chicago, I imagine I would have instead responded with, eat a dick, Hoosier. The resort is massive. Great Wolf Lodge meets Navy Pier meets that one bigger mall in your hometown with an Auntie Anne's pretzels. 
and the smell of a bowling alley. Guess what, folks? Gaming facilities in Michigan are exempt from smoking laws. Small white-haired ladies whiz by and hover around, cigarettes dangling from their mouths, so speedy because the leafy carpet is so familiar. It's the same as the one in the nursing facility they were bussed from. Overweight men in NASCAR hats suck down cigars like old Disney villains. I consider myself to have high-functioning depression and anxiety, but this place almost makes me seize. The LED lights from the rows of penny slots that no longer take pennies. The echoing voices of virtual blackjack dealers. I turn, and it's a sea of the same woman on at least 12 six-foot screens. A traditionally pretty blonde with a low-cut gold spaghetti strap dress. Listen, if I wanted to relive my high school prom, I would have just taken a Xanax, had a glass of wine, fallen asleep on the couch, and had that recurring nightmare about it. You know, the one where my arms turn into balloons. There's a dizzyingly long hall with a high roller sign on the very end, leading to an intricately carved wood door. I don't think we can go in there, my dad said. To which, in the heat of the moment, I reply, oh, shucks. The buffet. We pay $25 a person plus tax and tip, which my father assures me is a deal. I assure him with the food poisoning I'm about to get from the shrimp scampi, it's not. Every surface in the buffet is gold. The light fixtures, the silverware, the tongs, the sneeze guards. Waiters and cooks wear crimson aprons and are too happy to see me. I'm on a cruise. I am on a Lynchian cruise. They've segmented the buffet into cuisines. I start at Asian and take a forkful of lo mein. I pretend to take a mini one-seater plane to American, hop on over to Mexican, take a trip to Italian, and finally jaunt to my favorite country, seafood. I circled back three or four times. I wanted none of it, so I had all of it. The inscription carved above every buffet's door. We were led to a booth next to the restroom by a waitress whose habit of saying, my pleasure, after each sentence obviously meant, fuck you. Sitting down, I immediately noticed that the wood trim along the wall, shoulder height, was broken. I traced underneath it and poked upwards, the slight pine bobbing up and down with each poke and slapping back into place, up and down, up and down, contemplating money and facades and how our waitress obviously hated her job. The Parmesan-crusted cod was like a wad of old gum, and every cuisine tasted American. Up and down. Thought about the casino atrium with the triptychs of the Pokagon Indians. I wondered what they would have rather built on their land if we had given them any other options. But man, a stained glasser was pretty, wasn't it? Really gave a nice ambiance for the jet ski they were auctioning off in the middle of the room. Cacophony, water-falling, virtual coins, screaming from the kid's zone. That's right, kid's zone. For those days, you want to drop them off with laser guns and iPod charging stations while you waste their college tuition, or don't think they'd enjoy the buffet. Sickly sweet toffee cake, vinyl sticking to my legs. My pleasure, heard from the booth behind us. My dad, who had just had two teeth pulled, was sipping on French onion soup and mashed potatoes. Up and down and down. I realized he would die one day and these would be the memories I have of him. The teeth. The potatoes. The hanging planter. 
We leave in silence, passing by a last chance room with more penny slots and even more disgruntled men. The drive home is hushed. I think my dad's mouth hurts, or maybe he knows I didn't like the meal. I'm lost in the hum of the highway and the waves of what is happiness? Were those people happy? Do I have a right to judge other people's happiness? And then the moon peeks through the trees. And I'm a kid again, eating cold McDonald's french fries with my dad after a night of watching him set up sound for a community theater. Always potatoes with this dude. I think that makes me happy. The moon is so bright in Michigan. And I think that makes me happy. All right, next up in the issue, we have our sweet friend, David Stobie. You'll remember David from many, many issues. Many. He is a Scout and Birdie favorite, and he is back with two poems on this issue, but we'll take you into his first one, so please enjoy Sacrament. You, miss, have me thinking of the tile. How cool it is on your back after the party. After hours. Everyone should go. Or wait. It's still going on. Listen to the film boy sneakers. The cigarettes toasting on the porch. These are the last of the last. Out there hiking up their overalls, seeking whatever can be scavenged. Seeing if someone will put their hands in their pockets. Will someone please take them home? You, miss have me thinking of my body, which kisses and breaks me like all the bread I've been eating, because God wants me to be more like him. So I've been eating their son, whose Bible paper is a wafer, this tiny disc filled with top-secret information, with DNA set on my plutonium heart. You, miss, have had all the wine, and the music is stopped, and the service is over, and the reception is in the other room, where nobody is watching, not even God. So this is where everything gets believable, where I can believe the wine could really be blood, that we've already kissed and touched our bodies, the bread we broke the morning after I met you. Parmeter, who is sharing with us her song, Tom Cruisin, and we're so excited to have her here. Welcome, Hattie. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here with us. <laughs> and I know Hattie because before I even moved to Chicago to go to Columbia College of Chicago, um, my very good friend, Kevin, introduced me to Hattie, and I remember thinking, like, Hattie is 
someone who lives in Chicago and like one day I will like be in Chicago uh, like her and be like you know an artist <laughs> and so cool so it's very cool to have you on the issue it feels like we're going full circle with uh, admiring your work from afar and now getting to feature it on Scout and Birdie. Thank you. We're also joined by Nora Jones, your dog, <laughs> via <laughs> Skype. <laughs> so Nora and Hattie, tell us about your process of writing this song that we're going to hear later, Tom Cruisin'. I have a really bad habit of, or I did for a really long time. I didn't have any like relationships uh, in like high school where everybody else was like making out with people left and right, or at least it seemed like it. <laughs> I didn't have like any of that. And so I was really scared to like show someone that I genuinely was interested in them because I thought that would mean that they would like leave. And so I, I think I've been dating Kevin for quite a while when I wrote this song about him and about us called Tom Cruisen because Tom Cruise was on Oprah and started jumping up and down on the couch. I think he was yelling like, I love this woman, blah, 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 and like just getting crazy. <laughs> and everyone was like, oh my God, he's nuts. And this is so cute. And yeah, it's just kind of about admitting to myself how much I care about this person. And I still, like, I'm not a person who blushes or gets embarrassed. But if I am forced to play this song in public, I just turn beat red. Even though, like, I've been dating the man for almost eight years. Like, get it together. It's very obvious that you're in love. <laughs> <laughs> no hiding it anymore. <laughs> nah, it's, it's pretty clear. I call his mom my mother-in-law, so I think we've crossed that threshold already. <laughs> I haven't uh, I haven't written a song in, like, a couple couple of years, I think at this point. And, uh, Kevin joked once, I guess I'll have to break up with you for a while. So you have something to sing about. And at first I was like, what is wrong with you? You garbage person. And then I thought about it. was like, that's probably the sweetest thing anyone's ever said to me. (laughs) (laughs) Right. I'm feeling that right now too, of like, I'm in a place in my life where I'm just feeling kind of like happy and chill. And like, there's not a bunch of highs and lows right now. And I'm like, I have nothing to write about. There's just nothing to create because I just feel like kind of content and happy. <laughs> this is so boring. I mean, it's not the worst place to be, but yeah, creatively, shoot. A lot of times I forget a lot, and I think most artists frequently forget you don't have to be producing something constantly. And like a lot of people feel even guilty if they're not making something at all times or at least like thinking about making something. Mm-hmm. And you have to consume and create. It's like a pretty tough balance that you have to figure out for yourself, and it always changes. Yeah. I always figure times when we're a little too content and like you don't feel like you're working a lot is just the time where you're building up all of the things that you can use later. And it's all just, yeah. it's all just the brickwork. Totally. Yeah. How long have you been singing for Hattie? Uh, forever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like most people who grow up in rural America as artists, I uh, was a choir person in the church you know as one does um and then I did like choir throughout high school and got into uh some of the more elite like acapella groups and have won some state competitions back in uh, high school humble brag uh (laughs) red velvet dresses and fake pearls always And then a couple of years ago, I played at the Metro a couple of times for Columbia, actually, during the Biggest Mouth competition. They are still running that, I think. Yeah. Oh, I remember that. Yeah. I remember yeah. you to see that when you were in it. 
I don't know. I've never taken music seriously. It's never been my goal to make money with it. I enjoy it. That's why I do it. But yeah, that was fun. Just to say I've played the Metro twice is kind of fun. Yeah. It's pretty yeah. cool. Put it on your bio. Yeah. There you go. Since you wrote this song so long ago, does when you play it or when you listen to it, does it still feel quite true for you? Or does it feel like a, a time capsule more so of how you felt in that moment? Since I'm still with the person I wrote it about, it's totally so legit. I imagine that if I had broken up with him, I would probably feel a little differently about it. (laughs) (laughs) For me, listening to a song or an album that totally takes you back immediately happened yesterday to me. Actually, I found a CD in my car. My car's 20 years old and I have to play CDs. I found a mix that had Matt Nathanson on it. He was really popular for the song called Car Crash, I think. And just came on and it was raining and I was on the way to work and I was like, this is not what I need to listen to on the way to work. Hello, I'm going to start <laughs> crying here. Yeah, not quite that bad, but I don't know. I don't immediately go back to memories usually. It's more of like a really intense feeling. Mm-hmm. I, yeah. I think music that you listen to when you were like in those younger phases of your life, at least for me, feel like such intense feelings because when you're young, yeah. everything is so life or death and like, Driving yeah. in the rain when, with one of those songs playing would just be heartbreaking. It's so overwhelming. Yep. yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I immediately became like 17 and was like, this is not right for me at this moment. We're going to have to switch. <laughs> <laughs> Who's, um, who are one artist for each of you that like you continued listening to as you've grown up? Hmm. That's a tough one. Yeah, that's really hard. I'm going to go with the first one that jumped into my head, though, because I feel like that's that's like what's true for me, even if it's kind of silly. Um, yeah. I loved in high school and middle school and still do love Mika. Oh, singer cool. Mika. Yeah. I think yeah. his newer stuff is kind of, I don't know if he has such a strong following anymore, but back in the day, he had kind of like this cult following of people who would wear like of rainbow clothing and we would like, yeah. jump around and very David Bowie yes yeah yeah. And, yeah sort of like a like a queen very high falsetto voice and it's just yeah. joyous and lovely <laughs> I'm trying to think if there's anyone that I do still listen to I mean there's albums that I still listen to from back then I was really into British punk music for a while which is kind of strange oh, cool. for me and some weird indie stuff. But there are certain albums. I know there, there's this one album by The Baby Shambles, which is like, uh-huh. Asian, which is Pete Doherty's band that's not The Liberdines. The Baby Shambles' second album I would listen to a lot. And I'll still listen to it sometimes. And it's just kind of good energy music, but it's kind of gritty. It's good for, like, when you're walking around and you're, like, wanting to go somewhere and be, like, uh. Energetic. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> totally. I really miss, like, the stage in life or the stage in technology where people would make each other mixtapes. I felt like that yeah. was such a kind gesture that, like, took so much thought and was such a good way of, like, communicating how you felt about someone or totally. trying to. And people don't really, like, make each other playlists anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Unless you're a social media influencer and you have a Spotify that people stock. That's not true. The not the same, though. No, not at all. Because then you're making it because you're like, this is just a bunch of stuff I like instead of here's this beautiful thing that I've like, you know, worked on and the titles have meaning and I thought about the order forever. And yeah. 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 
Yeah, because I would I would play the end of a song and make sure that it flowed well into the next song. Mm-hmm. And that's yeah, yeah. People don't do that when you can just do shuffle for a playlist on Spotify. Yeah, that's true. Totally. <laughs> Gotta bring it back. Um, what is the band that you still listen to? That you listened to years ago. I still love Rooney. Big Rooney fan. Uh, Jet. Totally love Jet. Uh, I started playing guitar when I was 12 because of Lindsay Lohan in Freaky Friday. <laughs> I, you know, I, I've never been embarrassed to admit that. I still think it is hilarious. <laughs> the song, The Ultimate, that she plays in her band on that, You're It, You're the Ultimate You. Like, That's I can totally, song. I don't know how to play it on guitar, <laughs> but right? Like, takes you back to being 13 and wearing striped leggings and skull and crossbones, whatever. Uh, and yes. Like, Hot topic. Yeah. It cracks me up. Yeah, dude. <laughs> I have an Avril Lavigne shirt. I'm not afraid to admit it. I wear it to work sometimes. Whatever. <laughs> uh, uh, thank you so much for talking with us and yes. for being yeah. here. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you guys. So everyone at home, please enjoy Hattie's song. Tom Cruising. Take your shoes off, brave. I wanna see your soul. I could go swimming, rather skinny dipping those Lake Michigan eyes.
Next up in the issue, we have Catherine Woods. And I know Catherine and have known Catherine for a while now, sort of through a mutual appreciation of each other's social media presences. Mm -hmm. We've liked each other's statuses and um, supported each other's art, but never actually hung out until she submitted to be on Scout and Birdie. And we are so glad to have her poem on the issue. Yeah, so please enjoy her poem, Anatomy and the Missing Arm. I awoke to find that my arm was missing, vanished into the night. Only my shoulder remained, loyal as it was to my spine. Calling a meeting of the self that had stayed behind, I asked if anyone had seen her go. Feet had not, unsurprisingly, as they rarely see anything outside of my socks, it being dead of winter. Ribs had not either, the self-absorbed fools. Only fingers had felt it, the five that remained. They whispered that it was a gradual hiding away, a soft lightening of balance. Piece by piece, the arm had tiptoed out of the body, and so we searched for her eyes peering, one hand grasping. When tongue first tasted her scent on the air, our stomach lurched like a loose cannon. She tasted of loneliness and fear. Why did she hide herself away? Again, it was the fingers who figured it out first. When you try to make yourself smaller, sometimes you don't get to choose who leaves first. Okay, next up in the issue, we have Eileen Tull. And you'll remember Eileen from our Roots issue and more recently, our Back to Basics issue. Eileen is a wonderful writer and a super supportive person to know in the storytelling and literary community. She brings us all together. Yeah. So we're so excited to have her back with her piece, Moon Stuff. I sleep with the lights on now. It's not because I'm afraid of the dark, although I used to be afraid of the dark. When I was young and small and my room was always painted pink. I was afraid of the dark only because I thought I was supposed to be. I never believed in monsters under the bed. But so many people said, don't be afraid of the dark, that I started to think, oh, should I be? I sleep with the lights on to drown out the moonlight. I board up my windows, I plaster over the cracks. Everything to keep the moonbeams out. My lamplight swallows up moonbleed and it's like it was never there, not a sliver. I wasn't always like this, yelling keep out moon and building fences and turning on lamps. Lamps I can control. Moonlight spills in like overturned water glass next to the bed. I loved the moon once. Once I did. Once I believed so sincerely in healing lunar light. In magic. 
Enamored with moon stuff and gazing at her, I dreamed about the steps on her face. I sang in my heart how the moon I see before me was the same moon that has touched all living things forever. I sat on a rooftop in Chinatown trying to learn how to breathe deeply, and the instructor said, Feel the sunlight on your face. Know that the sun you feel is the same sun that was felt by the dinosaurs millions of years ago. And I began to weep with joy, which made the deep breathing much more difficult, but to weep at the thought of the sun and its sister moon kissing the face of a T-Rex and now looking down on me. To feel connected to such creatures by two heavenly bodies that unite us all, I immediately went home and watched Jurassic Park. Again. My moon stuff continued during the eclipse in August. I assembled a crack team of amateur witches, and we sat in the graveyard next to our houses, watching the dinosaur watchers slowly high-five. I brought a container of water to absorb the moon power, which I later tucked away in my fridge, to drink only in emergencies when I need the power and strength of the moon. As we sat in the graveyard, I wrote down the names of my loved ones who had died that year, two people-shaped holes that will never be patched up. I wrote down what I am leaving behind, fear and regret. I wrote down a wish. Let me walk towards challenges more bravely with my head up, especially into the face of love. I have a tendency to encircle love cautiously, like a wounded, starving animal. Only stalking, never striking, and I end up returning to my cave dissatisfied. I gave all of this to the moon, who in return gave us a beautiful spectacle of movement, one of the greatest afternoons I have ever spent in a graveyard. I wrote a play about the moon. I have taken pictures of her. I have hung her on my walls. I have wept at lunar modules and museums and heard astronauts speak of her face. I denounced Juliet and swore by the moon. And I began to truly believe in magic. I began to hope like I'd never let myself hope before. As the world around me crumbled, I began to believe that good things will come to me. Me, a modest little moon witch. And the magic started to move me. I started moving towards the center of this jungle where love lived, or so the legend went. And I didn't walk in circles. I walked towards love with open eyes, wounded and scraggly animal that I am. I let the moonlight guide me and followed the path that it made, cutting through the jungle trees and leading me home, only to no home that I'd ever known, to where magic and love and relief lived. And I walked into the clearing, thinking that this must be the place. I took careful ginger steps. But somehow, the moonlight cut out suddenly, darkness enveloping the clearing, and I stutter-step tripped, falling into a mud pit. Somehow I always end up falling into a mud pit. I used my own large arms and sticks and brush to pull myself out, cursing my lack of rope, but I got out, using only myself. I looked up for the moon. Why did she guide me here, only to be caked in mud and anger all alone? But she was gone barely a star to wink at me. I felt my way through the jungle, squinting and peering, slowly trudging my way home. 
That's the thing about the moon. It's not magic. There's a science to its movement. And the moon is not for me. It's not looking at me. It didn't see the dinosaurs as they lived and burned, and it doesn't watch me now. It's an orb, a floating rock in space. Men stepped on its face once, and that's it. I traveled to Paris to forget about the mud pit, and the moon hid from view the entire time. She must have known I was angry with her and that I had no use for her in the City of Light. Paris is bright enough without an inconstant moon. Or maybe it was cloud cover and nothing more. She tricked me, lighting a path of promises that just led to mud. I am many things, but I am no fool. So I board up my windows to keep the light out. I pour the moon water down the drain, and I just drink Evian now. I know that magic doesn't exist. I feel my heart getting harder in my chest. And then I remember that's just a muscle. It pumps blood. Nothing else lives in my heart. Uninhabited, like the moon itself. Sometimes the hard-hearted animal that I am catches sight of the moon, poking its head around the corner of a tall building. And I think of blind dinosaurs who never got tricked but still burned up anyway, and so I keep my distance. I pace and I circle only by lamplight, self-protective, and I wonder who will someday dig up my bones. Right. Next up in the issue, we have Sarah Cohen. And Jen and I both know Sarah from our days back at Columbia College, Mm -hmm. um, where she also attended. And I recently did a show with Sarah, um, and she's lovely to perform with and to work with. And we're so glad to welcome her to her first time on Scout and Birdie. Mm -hmm. So please enjoy Sarah's piece, Over the Moon. She is passing through fire, only spends two days here, reflecting the sun and all its shiny characteristics. With her, she brings shadows of the past and bubbles of text. She brings them back for the second time as if they belong here, as if I want to hear them, as if I need this shock. I don't. She betrays me, shedding light on things I'd rather not see, reminding me that I am still stuck under the soles of brown combat boots like gum, refusing to let go, still intertwined, interlaced. It's not all of me that sticks, that stubbornly latches on, but some of me does, and some of me is more than enough. More than enough to suck me back into nighttime daydreams I don't want to have. My thoughts suggest alternate endings and new beginnings, My thoughts failed to acknowledge how it came about in actuality, how it transpired. I mull over kisses and touches that never came to fruition as I try to sleep and dream of something else, anything else. If I would have said yes, then I would know what it's like to touch his skin, lie next to him. I would know what he tastes like, 
I would know the sound of his gasp, the beat of his heart. I would have rested my head on his chest and let my fingers swim through his hair. I would know what his voice does when it whispers, what color his eyes are when it's dark and we are only separated by molecules. But I can't know any of these things because I said no. And I have to keep reminding myself it was the right thing to do. It's a small comfort to know none of these thoughts are real. I know that while I think them, they won't happen. But I'd rather not think of them at all. I would rather just rest under her covers in the darkness. I would rather keep moving, ignoring these feelings until they subside. I would rather not know there is still interest. I would rather not be reminded of his existence and how it affects me. A direct message inside of an app. An agreement ignored. I would rather not have gotten the message. My body responds by reminding me, this seed won't grow. It can't. This is not for you. He is not for you. You are strong. Move on. I can't seem to move on. The last time he came back, she was passing through water. Emotions. I drown in my desire with guilt in the back of my throat because I know this is wrong. I shouldn't want him. I should know better than to fall for someone who has someone else. I should know better than to like someone who thinks it's okay to pursue me while he has someone else. I should have more common sense than to expect anything good to come of this. My body responds with signs that can only point to turmoil. I get my period two weeks early. This seed won't grow. My body knows more than I do that this cycle has to end but my feelings don't mirror this effect. I would rather not care. But I do. I care. I still care. And that is why this tide she brings is more than just a nuisance. Because it reminds me that I have not moved on. She reminds me I'm not over it. She is full now. For two days, she is reflecting on the darkness of bottomless ocean. It is the first warm day of the year. She brings me face to face with stirrings, face to face with things I thought I had turned my back on and left. I carried them with me, and now they are leaking. Now I have to deal with them. She tells me to feel them, even if I don't want to. Tonight, I bury myself under blankets and sweat, with the still heat and humidity. I ask her to purge the desire from my body as I fall into another restless sleep. Maybe this time, it'll work. Last up in the issue, we have another poem from our sweet friend, David Stoby. So please enjoy his poem, The Harvest. Pencil shavings. Colored. Wine. The sacrament. Delicate. Tender. Touch while we clean the basement in our PJs. Fallen. Towel rack and Kleenex. After Kleenex on the bathroom floor. The domestic color. Of the drywall. Of the van. 1950s love. A loud blink. 182. Black. Pins. Gray. Pencils. White 
men jamming to earth, wind, and fire. Did you stop dancing after the book burn, when our religion fell sick, burnt a crucifix, and the savior wept for your shavings on the stress-reducing coloring book? Town hall drowned when my mother cried a river. Her father was an artist of the body, with a stethoscope, and blood, with glass. He looked at his wife and felt it boil, and his heart went rabbit fur soft, separating colors by the vowel, like consonants in the library, a call number, sucking a fingertip and singing poets asleep, that fifth floor fiction section. It's where I ate pot roast, French silk pie, purple splashes on the collarbone, a kiss behind the radio station. Drop the needle on the grass, spin, and sing. Your father won't like it. Your mother will cry. A world is colored by number, and you have the license. So dance. Dance. On the Greyhound bus. Speed. Fast. West. North. I-55. I-80. At dusk. At orange. And purple. With blue two-inch brushes. So kiss me on hills. On the gravel. And the bumper of my Toyota. I will disappoint you. And your mascara. And your flannel. And your grandchildren. With the greenest eyes. A colored pencil. A book. Like lilacs. Balloons. And popsicles. And I love you. On the stairs. The bathroom. The sink. The porch. The bed. The back and front yard. Good night, Moon. it for our 16th issue our sweet 16 i hope we get a car jen me too (laughs) thank you so much for listening and for being with us for another issue if you'd like to stay connected with us in between issues make sure to go on to facebook or twitter or instagram and follow or like us be sure to go to scoutandbirdie.com learn about all the artists there and learn how to keep up with them If you would like to submit to be in a future issue of Scout and Birdie, go on to scoutandbirdie.com, click on the submission tab, and send us your stuff. We're going to play you out with another song by Hattie Parmeter called Bent. I'm Anna Wolf. And I'm Jennifer Keel. And we'll see you next time with issue 17. Poolside. Bye. Bye.
You've done nothing 